0: Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Uh, As Steve said and as the video alluded to, we're in a series called Pray at the Moment Uh, and uh, one of the cool things around this idea of praying and prayer is that uh, it's not really exclusive to us as Christians in church. In fact, a study was done a couple of years ago and it might be mentioned last week, but a study was done a couple of years ago whereby they spoke to a whole bunch of people outside the church and inside the church to work out some of the perceptions around the church and they found that regardless of faith about half the people in the country or just over half of the people in the country pray and so regardless of faith regardless of belief regardless of whether they even believed there was a God out there most people would pray so if you're sitting here chances are you've had an experience of prayer whether it's just been praying for a sports team or praying for something a little bit more significant like Kim. And so yesterday, um, uh, one of these things that just sort of happens during series like this, and you just think, oh my word, I'm totally sharing that tomorrow. Um, I was in a pub with a couple of friends. We were watching England beat Wales. Some of you are as happy about that as I am. Highlight of the year, every year. England were beating Wales, and it was about halftime when we were cruising and England were doing fine. And there was a guy next to me who I got uh, talking to, a guy called Sam. Uh, and he works as a marketing developer for a FTSE 100 company in London. Uh, and I was like, this is really cool. And so we got chatting, and I started asking him about what he did and what that involved and how he got into it and stuff like that. And it was really, really interesting. Uh, and then he asked me a question that I always kind of dread a little bit. And he was like, so what is it that you do? And I was like, well, like I'm on staff at a church in Suffolk. And he was like, and you enjoy that? (laughs) And it was like, yeah, I enjoy it. And told him a little bit about what I do and the rest of it. And just as the conversation started to like die down a little bit, as he realised that maybe I was one of those weird Christians, um, I sort of asked him, I just said, so you're a marketing developer and you've obviously got a perception of church and you think, you know, it's either for this or for that or whatever. I said, what would you do if you had to completely remarket the church? If you had to put a marketing strategy out there, what would you do? And what he said was fascinating. He said three things, and I loved it. First of all, he said, well, I'd probably do an outdoor concert. And I was like, that's kind of cool. We kind of do that a little bit, but in like a community centre and in schools around Suffolk. And he said, then I'd offer free prayer. And I was like, that's really interesting. And then I quote, he said, and then I also offer an opportunity to bust myths around the church. And I was like, you should have totally come last month to our series Mythbusters. And I was like, couldn't believe what I was hearing. And so I asked him, I said, it's really interesting out of the three things you said as a marketing strategy that would completely rechange change and, uh, yeah, and refocus your idea on the church, prayer is up there. And I was like, why is that? And he was just like, I don't know. I just guess that that's what people want. I just guess that like people kind of want someone to open up to and share with and the rest of it. And what fascinated me was that prayer was something that was not just, hey, you can do this at home and you can do whatever, but prayer was something that people were looking for. Prayer was something that people needed help with. And so as we navigate this episode today of pray, we're really going to be looking at how to pray and aware that within this room at the moment, there'll be a whole bunch of people on this big spectrum of where they are when they feel like, this is where I'm at with prayer. I mean, maybe someone you're a little bit more confident, but maybe you're someone who you're like, I don't even know the rules to prayer. I mean, like, what do you even do? Is there stuff that I'm allowed to say or not allowed to say? Maybe even you found yourself in the awkward situation where you've been sitting at a meal table and someone says, can you say grace? Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Hey Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. and of course my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on hundred, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear Tiny Infant Jesus, we... Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. I'm oh, no. putting a prayer on, baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying grace, and I like the Christmas Jesus best. I also love the, or our brothers down the south, Jesus. Zeus. Thought that was really good. Hey, maybe you've been in that situation, you're like, I don't really, like, what, like, am I even allowed to pray a prayer like that? Are we even allowed to listen to that in church? Like, what's going on there? Maybe you've had some form of experience on prayer, but you're not quite sure around the rules of what you are and allowed to do. There are a whole bunch of weird Christian rules that no one ever said. The Bible doesn't say them, but Christians just tend to do. So here are some of them. Some of them, this is like a prayer thing that Christians do. There's a specific noise that only Christians make, and it's this. Mmm. Mm, yeah mm. and there's a little tutting and maybe you're like why do christians like is that a thing is god here better like that uh, maybe you've been in a place and someone goes shall we pray and then they do the worst thing in the world and they start going like that as if to hold your hand and you're immediately like oh my gosh like really we're we doing this i can remember in youth group when i was in the church that i was growing up and we used to hold hands during prayer and so i always made sure that i was like trying to sit next to the pretty girl uh in youth group and then like you try and give it a squeeze if you fancy them that was like the rule in youth group and probably not in motion never worked. Maybe there's a whole bunch of different rules that people do when praying and you're just like, why is that? There's always that one where, where someone's praying out loud and for some reason, repeating God's name lots makes them hear better. So their prayers are like, Father God, we just want a Lord, Father, just Lord, Lord, would you just Father and, and Jesus, Lord, would you Father, Father? And it's like, does he hear better? Like, if you said uh, any other conversation, if I went, hey, Sam, Sam, I just want a Sam uh, Fenning, just Sam Fenning, I just want, like, you just never normally do that. It's a weird rule that Christians do. Maybe you're not quite in that area where you're trying to work out the rules. Maybe you know how to pray, and you're someone who prays regularly, but for you, your prayers have somewhere along the ground, or uh, somewhere along the way, just become stale, stale and boring, and maybe just a drift. Maybe you pray, prays, uh, pray prayers like, "Lord, would you just bless this burger to my body and this bullet to my foot?" Like, would you just give us traveling mercies, Lord?" And you can imagine God being like, well, just wear a seatbelt and travel to the speed limit. You'll probably be okay. Or Lord, would you just be with me today as if God forgets? And like, they're just the routine prayers. that You pray every day in the same way. And somewhere along the line, you just think, man, like, why do I even pray? Like, does even prayer do anything? Like, what, what is it about my prayer life that just kind of feels a little bit stagnant? Like I'm not sure if if it's possible actually in fact I think it's not possible for God to fall asleep. But I do think that there have been times in my life when I pray that I think my prayers would probably give him a run for his money when it comes to God falling asleep. Like when it comes to the prayers that I pray, are they really that big audacious prayers that might move God into doing something? Maybe when it comes to how we pray, the question we've really got to ask is what do we pray? The truth is that the the what really drives the how. When asking the question, how do you pray, the answer is often driven by what you pray. When you look at the um, just vast array of God's story that stretches out over thousands of years, we've sort of collected into the Bible, there is just story after story after story of what people pray. And it's far more than probably what you and I would ever consider normal prayers. We'd probably call them audacious prayers. Whether it's Hannah in the Old Testament who prays for a child that she's just not uh, conceiving. Whether it's uh, Joshua who in battle literally asks for the son to stand still over the course of a day. Whether it's David who's fleeing from his enemies just asking God for like, protection for his life. Whether it's Elijah who prays that this boy would be resurrected from the dead. Whether it be Hezekiah who prays that some death uh, that's on his doorstep might be moved away. Whether whether it's Ezra who just has this immense thankfulness for God. Whether it's Jeremiah who just laments and weeps over this nation that's fallen. Whether it's the disciples who pray over who they're going to recruit into their team. Who pray for daily um, uh, provisions of food and water. Whether it's Paul who launches the church and just says, God, I need your help on this. What am I supposed to do? How is this going to work? Whether it's Stephen who literally prays for his enemies. When it comes to what they pray, it really drives how they pray. Some of these prayers, and there are a whole bunch more, are prayed down on their knees with tears coming down their face. Others are prayed in a quiet room, maybe in a whisper. Some are prayed out loud in front of others. Some are prayed and it's almost like a, a, a thought that is just so loud in their heads. When, it look, when you look at the vastness of what you can pray, it really determines the vastness of how you can pray. There are many different ways to pray as much as there are reasons to pray. The how to pray bit is probably the last question we really should be asking. Often it's what do we even pray for? And maybe there's this awkward admission in your life that I've also had to kind of make, which is maybe you just find that your prayers are just a little bit lame, like just a little bit shallow in compared to those big audacious ones we hear. Last week when we kicked off the series, we kind of used this imagery, this idea of crawling up onto the lap of the Father and getting close. This idea that actually when we pray, prayer is as much as about what happens out there as it is what happens in here and how it changes us. And actually, when we look at this idea of how to pray, and and really the question of, well, what is it that we do pray? Maybe something we need to recognize is that lukewarm, stale, slow prayers really aren't going to bring us closer to our Father, of whom we're supposed to be on the lap listening to. And so to try and uh, expand this a little bit more, I want to look at a story right back into the Old Testament of the Bible. It happened thousands of years ago, but perhaps one of the most famous lovable characters of the Bible, a guy called David. Chances are that you've heard of him. He's the one that slayed the giant Goliath and he grew up to be king and uh, ran away from Saul for a little while. That was before he became king. Um, David did a whole bunch of things. David and Bathsheba, That David. David did a whole bunch of things and he wrote a whole bunch of poetry that you can find right in the middle of your Bible. A whole bunch of the Psalms are written by King David. And one of these Psalms, one of these prayers, I think encapsulates this idea of asking God to do something within him. That if God answered, would completely change the way in which he lived. I mean, there's a little bit of debate over when he wrote the prayer that we're going to be looking at today. Lots of people would suggest it was when he was a shepherd, early on as a child, doing a job that probably the young girls were known for doing. It's almost an embarrassing job if you're a young guy. And so he would have been out in the fields, and people reckon he probably wrote this prayer then. But I also kind of like to think that this was a prayer that he would have repeated time and time and time and time again throughout all of his life. I mean, the fact he wrote it down probably shows that it was significant to him in some way, and that he remembered it because he kept it for other people to record. And so David prays this prayer, and he prays it in uh, Psalm 139. Uh, And I'm going to sort of summarize the first little bit because I think it's kind of cool. You can summarise the first bit of Psalm 139 and hey, if you've got a Bible at home or on your phone which you can download, definitely give it a read. But it kind of gets summarised like this. It's not just that God knows everything, he knows me. It's not just that God is everywhere, he is everywhere with me. And it's not just that God created everything, he also created me. That like summarises the whole of the first prayer that David gives in Psalm 139. It's not that God just knows everything, he knows me. It's not just that he's everywhere, he's everywhere with me. It's not that he just created everything, he created me. Before anything else, David just has this recognition of not just what he prays, not just how he prays, but who he prays to. In the same way as what we pray really drives how we pray, who we pray to really drives what we pray and how we pray as well. I mean, maybe you've considered this before, but maybe it's been a while since you've considered it. Consider that there is a God with galaxies at his disposal. Consider that there is a God who created every element on earth and still created you. Consider that there is a God who is everywhere at once, but still wants to be everywhere with you. Consider that if there is a God who is out there, a God who is out there, who has done and can do everything, decides to do things for you. Who has everything at his expense, who has all glory, all power, who made everything wonderful and beautiful that you can imagine. That is the God that you approach when you pray. I mean, for me, that just changes things. All of a sudden, it's like, Lord, would you bless this burger to my body? Like, can you see, like, God wants more from us? Not as like an angry God, but because he is big enough and we should be honoring a big God with some big prayers. Each one of these episodes is based on a different book. Uh, you can, as Steve said, you can buy these from uh, The Office, or he might say that later if he hasn't said it already. Uh, you can buy these books from The Office. But as part of today's episode, we're looking at a book um, uh, written by a guy called Craig Rochelle. He runs a church called Life Church uh, out in the States. And in his book called Dangerous Prayers, it's literally just come out, it says this, and I think this is brilliant. If you ever caught a true vision of God in his purest essence... I promise you, you would never refer to him like a pal from down the road. God is too mighty to disrespect. He's too holy to treat casually. He's too good to speak with ungrateful familiarity. He's too majestic to casually take him for granted. I mean, let me put it like this for a second. Imagine that through your door at home, you got an invitation by a mystery person that says, Hey, I just wanted to meet up with you and uh, I want to take you out for food. Food's on me. And they put the address to this really fancy restaurant. And so maybe curiously, you pick this up and you question it slightly, but you think, well, what I might do is I'm just going to walk down, I'll dress up for it, walk down and just see who's there waiting for me. So you dress up because it's a really fancy restaurant and you get there on the Friday night and you look through the glass window and through there, you're just like gobsmacked because it just so happens that on that day is your favorite uh, celebrity or music star or sports star or whoever it is, the person that you just think, man, if I could just meet one person in life, it would be this person. And you see them with an empty chair in front of them. And you just think, okay, well, it's definitely not their Martin meeting, but I'll, I'll just sort of go in and see who's in. And so you go through and you say, hey, I've got this mystery invitation, and someone said that they'd be here, and they bring you to, to your disbelief, the person that you just would have loved to have met once in your life. And you sit down, they're just like, hey, can we chat? Like I've heard about you, can we talk? You might lose the words. The words that come out of your mouth might just be a jumbled mess. I mean, you might not have the, the capacity to be able to string a sentence together. And now I not be, not, might not be able to tell you what you might talk about or how you might talk to this person or the questions you might ask them or the things you might even ask for. But I can guarantee you, because of the, the, um, the awe that you put into this person, it wouldn't be boring. It wouldn't be stale. It wouldn't be dull. When it comes to prayer, the who really drives the what and then the how. The who, the what, and the how. And it's after this that David, uh, after he says, like, you have done everything, and uh, I mean, you want to do everything with me, and you, you've created everything, and you've created me, and you have the power to do everything, and, and you have the power to do things through me, that then David prays a prayer that probably we look at as a little bit trivial, but is something that if we really took seriously, if we pray for ourselves, chances are it might really challenge and convict or change the way that we pray. It might even give the words for you to pray if prayer isn't something that you've done much of before. Here is David's prayer. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Search me. Test me. Lead me, search me, test me, lead me, search me, test me, lead me, search me, test me, lead me. You can imagine almost just as this reoccurring prayer all the way through David's life. Lord, I want you to search me. I want you to test me. I want you to lead me. Simple, thoughtful, perhaps almost trivial. But if God really answered this prayer, consider what this might mean. Consider what this might mean for a David who lived a life of adventure that perhaps we could only ever dream of in our wildest fantasies. I want to go through this prayer step by step. Search me. What would it look like if God searched your heart? Know my heart. I mean, for many of us here, we might think, well, why is that so particular? Like, Why is that more powerful than any other prayer? I mean, why is, I mean, I know my heart. My heart's a good heart. I mean, I tend to do things with the right motive. I, like, I tend to do things in the right way. My heart's good, and, and God knows that. God knows that my heart's good. When it comes to David, what David says here is so countercultural. David recognises, whether he is a shepherd nobody, whether he is a giant conquering somebody, or a king who rules over everybody, that actually when it comes to his heart, it is not something that should be followed as much as it should be something that's protected and guarded. David knows even that when he is at his best, he is one bad decision away that his heart might lure him to that completely could destruct everything. In fact, if you know the story of David, you'll know that this is true. David says, search me, know my heart, know. Know before I know the vulnerabilities that I can't even see yet. What is it for you that you need God to search you out on and reveal to you that perhaps you might not even be aware of? Lord, I mean, I'm not an alcoholic. I just like a drink. I like a party. I mean, I haven't got a gambling addiction. It's just I'm on a losing run. I mean, I don't have a problem with gossip. I just like news. I mean, it's not that bad if everybody does it. I mean, God, I mean, it's, it, it's not so bad that I do that because, because no one's really picked me up on it so far. So how bad can it be? Like, I'm not lazy. It's just that, that I'm, I manage my time well. God, search me. Search me. Show me the things within me. Search me. Know my heart. And then David says this, test me. Test me. Often when we think of a test, we can think of it in quite a specific way. We can think of a test almost like a school test. We go up to an exam and it's a pass or fail thing. This isn't what David's asking for. He's not asking God to test him and if it's a pass, then good, and if it's a fail, then bad. Testing, in more of an ancient Eastern sense, was far more of this idea of God is going to put something in your way that's going to show you and show him kind of where you're at. Like just to sort of see, where are you at with this kind of thing? And so David's saying, listen, I want that. I want you to see exactly where I am. And on the back of this, he says, test me, show the anxieties of my heart. Let me ask you, what is it that you are scared of? What is it that you fear? I'm not talking about phobias. I'm talking about things that cause you to lay awake at night. Things that make you think, my word, Like, what, what's going on? Like, Why can't I sleep because of this burden? Is it a loneliness? Is it those brown envelopes coming through the door? Is it the thought that maybe you'll never one day find a partner? What is it? What are the things? Is it going to be losing a job? What are the fears that grasp you at night? And what David says is, test me, test me on them. What David recognises that is often our greatest fears that show us where we trust God the least. I recognised this maybe a couple of years ago uh, through a talk from somebody else uh, and what they said, but they said, actually what I've recognised is that every year of my life, the stakes go up. The stakes of my life go up. I mean, there was a time, and I know for me, there was a time where I didn't really have anything or I didn't you know, really own anything that particular. And I was like, a little bit younger, so I was like, hey, actually, God, like, I can do anything with this. Like, faith is easy for me, like, quite literally, because I've really got nothing to lose. And then maybe you get a house and it's like, oh, actually, but that's, that's kind of important to me now. And then you get a job and you think, okay, well, that's, if that goes wrong, then, then things are going to be a little bit harder. That maybe you get a wife or a husband and you think, oh man, if something happens to them now, God, then that's the stakes go up. And then children and the stakes go way up. And then the retirement plan and that goes way up. Each time, each year, each everything, the stakes go up. The fear grows up. And David says, God, I want you to test me. I want you to give me opportunities to show you actually regardless of what I fear, I'm going to look it in the face, I'm going to give it a name and as well as give it to you and show you my biggest problems, I'm going to go to my problems and tell my problems how big you are. Why does this matter? Kind of comes to the last one, lead me, lead me. Why? Because often our biggest fears, our biggest fears are markers and opportunities for things and uh, for, for ways that God might equip us into the things that God wants to lead us in. For David, scared of a giant, here you go. Scared of not living up to your brother's reputations, here you go. Scared of nobody following you as a king, maybe some time in the wilderness. For you, what is it? Scared of loneliness. Maybe God wants to put something in your way, equip you for an opportunity whereby you can show a new way of a deeper community than you've ever known. Scared of paying the bills? Maybe God wants to bring you into a place where you can financially manage your situation and help others manage theirs into a place of freedom. Scared of failure? Maybe God wants to put you in a place of deep, prayer filled risk. God, through my fears, through my anxieties, test me. What would it look like if God genuinely answered this prayer for you into the deepest parts of your life? We need to start praying with courage. We need to start praying regularly and honestly. I love what the book says again here. It says this, your deepest need becomes a gift when it moves you to depend on Jesus. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it moves you to depend on Jesus. We need to start praying courageously. We need to start praying honestly. And we need to start praying regularly courageously, honestly, regularly. Regardless of where you are with prayer, regardless of where you are with faith, these three things you can do. Whether your prayers are fluent and nice and you have all the hmms and the hand-holding and everything else and that's what you like to do and great, that's fine. Or maybe your prayers are just just spitting out words or, or thoughts and, and they feel incohesive and you know what's in your heart but they don't seem to come out right. Whether it's that or whether it's somewhere in the middle. What would it look like for you to pray courageously? What would it look like for you to pray regularly? What would it look like for you to pray honestly, courageously? Because it's the deep, courageous, audacious prayers that honour a deep, big, audacious, huge God. We want to pray regularly because in the same ways when we climb up into the lap of the Father, regularity creates intimacy. We want to grow close and the change needs to happen within us, which is why we need to pray honestly, when the inside comes out, Lord, know me, know me, know my heart, test me, lead me. Lord, would you search me? Would you test me? Would you lead me? On your chairs, you'll find uh, that prayer that David prayed. And I encourage you to take our home, stick it up on the fridge and dare yourself to pray it. Consider what it might look like if God actually answered it. Because it's through this testing, it's through this leading that you'll lead to giant slaughtering moments, people leading engagements. We need to pray courageously, regularly, and honestly. Can I invite you to stand? I wanna begin by praying this prayer as us as a church. If you don't dare pray it, don't. But maybe in your hearts right now, pray this with me. If this is you, if maybe prayer has gone stale, If prayer has gone a little bit hard, if prayer has gone a little bit routine, consider what this might look like. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Lead me in a way so that the things that I do today might have eternal consequences. Search me, God. Show me the things inside of me that I excuse for my self test me know my anxious thoughts see if there's any offensive way in me things that upset you things that are hurting me and lead me in the way of the everlasting Lord search me test me lead me Father God right now would you hear the hearts of those praying this search me Me, lead me, search me, test me, lead me. And as a church, would you search us, test us, see if there is any offensive way in us, lead us into the way of the everlasting. Search us, God. Know our hearts. Test us. Reveal any of our anxiety. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us into the way of the everlasting Amen. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Ford. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.